Amen. Thank you. Paul and team, uh, thank you so much. I don't know what your favorite party game is, but Musical Chairs uh, is the game that our worship team and our techie teams have been playing for about the last four or five weeks uh, due to illness and COVID and family members becoming ill. I just wonder if we can show our appreciation to these guys because... um, There hasn't been a single week when the team that were rotated to be leading us have led us for the last five weeks. So, um, and that applies this morning. So, so very grateful. Uh, well, there is reason for great joy, uh, and there's reason for great joy in the Bolton household because in five weeks' time, Esther, uh, Kay's daughter, member of the church here, is going to be leaving the UK uh, to go to Uganda where God has called her to work with a ministry called Akiza Ministries, working in a school with children with disabilities. Reasons for great joy, because Kay's house will become tidy again and it won't be cluttered. Um, Esther's not in, I can say what I like. Um, But also reason for sadness, of course, for Kay, as we bid farewell to Esther. But we're not saying goodbye forever, of course not. Uh, Because as a church community, we have the amazing privilege of uh, supporting and encouraging Esther. Uh, This is just a quick plea, really, to say, could you consider uh, supporting Esther prayerfully and perhaps even financially? Uh, At 12 o'clock today, if you're on church suite with us, you'll get an email from me encouraging you to do just that. Um, Prayerfully in a couple of ways. One, to join uh, Kay, Esther's support group. And the other is to sign up to receive news uh, from Esther on a regular basis. Uh, as and when she has things to share. But also, might you consider supporting Esther financially? Uh, Her ministry is entirely self-funding, so she's reliant upon family and friends and her church family uh, to support her for her time in Uganda. Uh, Who knows, you know, maybe the cost of a couple of cups of coffee or something uh, per month uh, could sustain Esther in that ministry. So please do consider that uh, when that comes through to you. If you're not on church suite for any reason, well, you can be, uh, but also you'll find all this information on our website um, as well. Well, it's only 19, uh, 19 days, 19 days until the end of 2021. Praise God, uh, I hear some of us thinking with a certain <coughs> trepidation about what 2022 is going to bring to us. Uh, Kay's already mentioned we're less than two weeks, 13 days away from celebrating Christmas Day uh, when we'll have the privilege, hopefully, COVID rules permitting, of us gathering here in our Christmas jumpers to celebrate the coming of Christ. Well, if you were with us uh, last weekend, you would have heard Tony kick off our new teaching series, which we've called Hope Shines Through. It's our Advent teaching series, Hope Shines Through. If ever there was a time we needed to know that hope is shining through the clouds, through the mist, Surely this is the time uh, after what's been an incredibly uh, strange week as we readjust to plan B. Isn't it good news that we have the hope of Christ, that the coming of Jesus is news, uh, good news uh, of great joy? Well, in our mini teaching series, we're actually focusing in on the story of Christmas uh, according to the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is a, a very interesting gospel because having started in chapter one of his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, I mean, who's ever read that and studied that? I'm sure some of us have. God bless you. Uh, most of us jump over that. Matthew immediately gets to Joseph's response to the news that Mary was pregnant, very quickly followed by just one angelic appearance before Jesus is born with a surprising economy of words. Just six words. Verse 25 of chapter 1. Mary gave birth to a son. Six words. Mary gave birth 
to a son. It's obvious, isn't it, that uh, the Gospel of Matthew was written by a man. I mean, if a lady had written it, uh, that would have been a much longer sentence and more than six words for good reason. If only all labors only took six words. But what a contrast to, to Luke's Gospel. The Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Luke, the birth of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Mary, Zachariah, everyone singing a song, shepherds, Simeon, Anna, angels popping up all over the place with that familiar message, do not be afraid. None of that for Matthew, just a simple, and Jesus is born. But actually, Matthew is the only Gospel writer to tell us the story of a group of people we're going to be thinking about this morning, who in truth, are actually the subject of misunderstanding and myth. They're called the wise men, or as I'm going to refer to them today, as the magi. Now, most of us, having grown up probably in the West, have instantly got a mess- an, an image of these characters implanted on our minds right now, having seen far too many nativity plays. In your mind's eye right now, you're probably imagining three kings who have come from the East wearing a range of different crowns so that you can tell them apart, and they're bearing gifts of coal, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. They're trotting along with three camels, and there's a five-pointed helium star just ahead of them that eventually stops over the manger of Jesus on Christmas Day. They go in, and they find the baby Jesus who never cries, and they place down their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh before him. The trouble is, of course, almost none of that is true. Let's have a read. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, and then we uh, carry on from verse 13 next week. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact place when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod's, they returned to their country by another route. So first off this morning, let's ditch the myth, shall we? And then we can get into seeing what our text has to teach us by means of application today. So the first myth is that these magi were three magi. The Bible doesn't actually say that. It says some wise men, but it doesn't tell us how many. There may well have been more than three. There could have been just two. Secondly, there's no indication in Scripture that these individuals were actually kings as we understand kings. 
They were much more likely to have been Persian priest astrologers, men who'd made a religion out of astrology and astronomy. Thirdly, we know for certain that the twinkle, twinkle, little star idea that we probably imagine probably wasn't what they saw. But actually, what they were more likely to have seen was some supernatural act of God, which was happening in the heavenlies, and they responded to it. And then finally, the Magi never, ever went near the inn or the stable, like we were singing about in that song, Noel, Noel, to see the baby Jesus. Jesus was probably a toddler by the time the Magi had found him, which explains why Herod, as we'll be thinking about next weekend, ordered all boys up to the age of two to be killed. There we go, four myths. We've dispelled them in four short sentences. But in truth, none of that really matters because the much more important thing is that we discover what this scripture has to teach us for our lives today. Three things. Firstly, seek expectantly. Secondly, rejoice exceedingly. And thirdly, worship exuberantly. Do you know in about 135 hours from now, it will be too late for you to find any more Christmas presents? All shopping will be over and not even Amazon will deliver to you on Christmas Day. But of course, until then, you can use this next 135 hours to keep on doing what we've probably all been doing already, which is searching, searching, searching. You know, it strikes me that Advent, as well as being a season for preparation, is also a time for searching, but not only for presents. In fact, Christmas time has always been a time for searching. It seems to me that for some reason at Christmas time, more and more people start searching for things that they consider to be worthwhile or valuable during this season. And that's exactly where we find the Magi in Matthew's Gospel. They were seeking, they were searching expectantly for the truth. And that's the first thing that we discover from our text this morning. If you really want to find God, then you've got to seek for him proactively. If you really want to find God, you can't sit in an armchair and expect that you're going to discover him. You have to seek him determinedly. You have to seek him expectantly. But finding truth in a world that's full of fake news takes time and it takes an investment. Listen again to what our scripture reading says about the Magi search. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. If you're somebody, and I hope we all are, who's seeking after God in our lives, if we're seeking after truth with a capital T, then I think these Magi teach us at least three things about that search. The first thing we see is that the Magi were watching what was going on in the world. They weren't just blindly sitting around not watching what was happening around them. They noticed that something was different in the sky. They noticed that this new star or whatever it was had appeared that hadn't been there before and they responded proactively. They didn't simply say, ooh, a new star, that's nice, but they respond proactively. Now, God probably isn't going to throw up a light show in the heavenlies for you or I, but that doesn't mean that we can ignore what's going on in the world around us, which might just be of God nonetheless. 
The great theologian Karl Barth once famously said this. He said, take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret the newspaper from your Bible. I think that's so wise. Perhaps the contemporary version goes something like this. Open up your Bible app and check your tweets and read both, but interpret your social media feed from your Bible. In fact, Jesus famously said something which has been paraphrased, which is very similar. You are to be in the world, but you're not to be of the world. In it, not of it. People of faith, people who are seeking after the truth of God, can't ignore the world that's around us. But neither can we ignore what God might be up to, even if we don't see it immediately in front of us. Just last week, the um, Evangelical Alliance published some results of some research that they did during the pandemic. It was really interesting. They were trying to work out how churches have changed and how churches have adapted, but to how people generally have responded to the good news of Jesus. And I think there's reason for great encouragement. They said 70% of churches reported an an increase in people checking out their church online. A 70% increase of people checking out the church. 39% of leaders reported um, that there were new people coming to them who were wanting to explore faith as a consequence of Alpha. Something they hadn't necessarily experienced before. 39% said that had started to happen. Leaders reported an 11% increase in people making a first-time commitment for Jesus as a consequence of the pandemic. And here's a great thing about churches, and again, I think we should be so encouraged because churches have a reputation of getting stuck and never changing, but the research reveals that 88% of churches changed the way that they were doing church very quickly as a result of the pandemic. We didn't just keep on doing things the same old way, hoping that we'd see results. And I think we have good reason to be encouraged from all that, because even in the midst of the storm that we've been facing, followers of Jesus, the church, have been lifting up their eyes and seeing God at work in different ways. Even those who don't have a faith have encountered God in some way, shape, or form as a consequence of this pandemic. There are signs for hope. Of course, Google are reporting very similar things about what people are Googling on their search platform. They say that the pandemic has resulted in a 50% surge in online searches for prayer and other themes around spirituality. Just like the Magi, people have been watching what's going on in the world and they're now searching for truth and many people have come to discover God as a consequence in order to give them answers to the questions they've been asking. And that leads us nicely to the second thing that we see in the Magi, these people who are seeking for truth. Seekers will always ask questions. I wonder if you need to know this morning that God is not afraid of your questions. He can cope with them. I know too often in life I'm somebody who's ready to give the answers and not ask the questions. And yet here are the Magi having observed what's gone on in the world around them and they ask that one big, brilliant, profound question that every single one of us would do well to ask. What does this mean? They saw something different and they say, what does this mean? If you're seeking God in your life, and I really hope all of us are, then the challenge is never to accept the status quo. If we're seeking after the things of God, the challenge is not to just blindly believe everything that comes our way, but to ask lots of questions and to check it out. It's healthy to ask questions. 
Like, what does this mean or so what? Because the amazing promise is when we ask questions of God, we'll be led even more into truth. And if we've not yet come to faith, we'll be led into a relationship with Jesus. And then thirdly in their search, the Magi did whatever it took to find the answer to the question that they were asking. Sometimes, I don't know if you do this, if I want to discover the answer to a question, I type it into Google and I accept the first thing that pops up at the top. Can I say to you, that is not a good way to find answers to the big questions of life. Questions like, why are we here? Where are we going? Is there really a God? And actually, if there is a God, does he even care? Surely questions like that take more than a quick Google search. They take our time and they deserve an investment of our effort so that we can look into them. What's astonishing about this story of the Magi is they probably took between four and six months from first seeing that star until it arrived in the place where Jesus was. Four to six months. What an incredible investment for these individuals to make. It shows some serious commitment to the finding of capital T truth, doesn't it? What's really ironic to me, though, from this story is that the place where Jesus was born in Bethlehem was only six miles away from the religious center of the universe at the time. Jerusalem was the hotspot for religion. If you were a serious religious scholar of any sort 2,000 years ago, there's no other place you would rather have been than Jerusalem. That's where all the thinking was happening. That's where all the theologizing was happening. But here's the ironic thing. When these magi arrive in Jerusalem, what did they discover? Well, what they didn't discover was a relationship with God. They found that six miles out of town. It's interesting, isn't it? These individuals travel six months to get to the religious center of the universe, and yet not one religious leader bothered to travel the six miles to check Jesus out, even though their own prophecy that we read in the text was saying that this baby, the Savior of the world, would be born in Jerusalem. Six miles. Why didn't they go? Instead, what we find at the inn with Jesus are shepherds, and eventually we find a couple of years later a bunch of priest astrologers. Now, to me, that says something very profound about the sort of people that God is drawing towards himself. He's drawing people towards himself who aren't people who have all the answers, who don't have life completely sorted or at least think they do, but actually he draws people towards him People who have big questions in life, and he's ready to respond to those questions. All it takes from us is to put just a little bit of effort in, in order that we can answer the questions that we might be asking. Here we find a bunch of genuine seekers, and here's the promise. Genuine seekers always, always find Jesus. Do you know, I find these thoughts really quite challenging at a personal level. I've been wrestling this week in preparation and wrestling with the question, well, what do people find when they come to the Jerusalem, which is Chris Brockway? What do people find when they come to the Jerusalem, which is Christchurch Baptist Church? Do they find a dead religious experience or do they find a joy-filled living relationship with Jesus? It's a real challenge. And you know, the good news is this, is whilst you've been busy trying to search for God, God has also been searching for you. In fact, God wants you to get to know him. If there's one thing we learned in our previous teaching series, surely it was that. God is interested in you and he longs to have a relationship with you. 
Listen to these well-known words from Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And here are those words. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The promise, I will be found by you. Now, this is a message for exiles. This is a message for people who are lost. This is a message for people who are stuck in captivity. It's a message for people who haven't got life sorted out, but have still got really big questions and a longing to be found. What a tremendous promise. No wonder it's described as a promise of great joy, of great news. That God wants you to seek him and the promise is when you seek him, he will be found by you. And that's a message for those of us who haven't yet come to faith and it's a message for those of us who have walked with Jesus for years. What we discover from our text today is that God is not into dead religion, but he's into a living relationship. So perhaps the challenge for us this morning from the Magi is to avoid the dead religion of Jerusalem and instead travel the extra six miles to find a living relationship with Jesus in Bethlehem. The wise men sought the truth. Wise men and women seek him still. So first off, seek expectantly. Let's watch what's going on in the world. Let's ask the big questions and not be afraid of them. And let's do whatever it takes to find the answers. But secondly, there's a challenge, I think, in our text to rejoice exceedingly. If we're seeking God, we can enjoy that truth that God has taken the first step towards us in order that we can come to know him. God longs so much that we would come to know him that he's already given to us the greatest gift in the person of Jesus that he could possibly give. God has already given to us a sign, an incredible sign that we can respond to. God has a funny habit, doesn't he? And my guess is that any of us with any length of journey of faith would be able to say this, that God doesn't delight in leaving us in the middle of the wilderness without a map and without hope, but he'll give us signs and he'll give us clues, a little bit like a, a heavenly GPS that we can follow. As we look at the story of the Magi, we discover that their travel guide was this special star. It was this astronomical wonder that was happening in the skies. And the Bible says that it led them from the east directly to Jerusalem before turning towards Bethlehem and then settling over the place where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were staying, which at the time was not the stable or the inn. Now, we don't have any indication from the scriptures that anybody else saw the star that these magi saw. It doesn't say that Herod or the people in Jerusalem saw it, but the magi did see it. The only people to our knowledge that actually saw the star were those who were intent on seeking after Jesus. So this star was something special. It was something that was custom made for the Magi. It was also a fulfilling of an Old Testament prophecy in Numbers and Micah that said, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. And you know, I don't think that God has finished giving signs like that to the world In fact, God's had a habit of doing this kind of thing throughout history in order to get people's attention. Think for a moment of the opening of the Red Sea or the bringing down of manna from heaven, the pillar of fire by night. God has always provided different signs for different people. He always rewards genuine seekers with clues, perhaps with a metaphorical star. Now, as I've said, that might not be a a massive heavenly display or something very dramatic, But the chance is that you've had in your lifetime already or will have at some point in the future a star in your life. 
Probably not a literal one. And even if you did have a literal one, probably like me, you probably wouldn't even spot it. Now, let me be really clear here. I'm not talking about the nonsense, which is horoscopes and spiritualist guides. You know, guys, you know, you, you will meet a tall, dark stranger in the corner. Well, run a mile is my suggestion uh, to that. But as I think about my own life, the star in my life was a family friend called David. He invited me to join the first Bournemouth Boys Brigade. And then over five years or so, it was that Boys Brigade company and its leaders who explained the gospel to me until eventually I responded to that good news. And as I think back about David, I think, aside from the sovereignty of God, I may never have become a Christian, and I might well have missed out on all that God had for me if he hadn't appeared and made known the good news to me. Now, only you will know what your guiding star may be. It might be a person who's really helped you. It might be a book that's been an inspiration. It might be a verse of scripture or some event in your life. Who knows, perhaps even a local church has helped you come to know Jesus. But God brings people and he brings things and he brings situations across our path. He even sometimes allows, but he doesn't cause, he sometimes allows difficult things in our lives to happen so that we'll come to know him. Hasn't that been true of the pandemic? Some people who were doubters have become people of faith. Whatever it might be, God loves it when people begin the journey of seeking after him. The story of the Magi reminds us that there are three possible reactions to, uh, to, to God when we begin to realize he might just be leading us towards himself. First of all, we can react like Herod, who out of a reaction of fear we heard in our text, his response was anger and it was rejection. It was arm's length in God in a really angry kind of a way. Or secondly, we can respond like the religious leaders responded. They simply did nothing. Even though they were able to share the, the scriptures um, with, with the Magi when they came and point out that Jesus was going to be born six miles away, they did nothing. Darkness feeds on apathy and it feeds on the dead bones of religion. Or finally, we can act, uh, react like the Magi did. Verse 10, I love this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. What a great word. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Mr. Kipling does not have a monopoly on exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They celebrated, they rejoiced, they accepted, and they worshipped. They experienced the inexpressible joy of being led by God exceedingly. If you're seeking God in this life, in, in this time, can I encourage you to keep an eye out for the signs, the stars, the markers, the waypoints that God has placed in your life? He loves to lead you into the presence of his son. The challenge is to not sit there apathetically and do nothing with them, but to continue asking the big questions so that we can discover truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this, You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy because you found him. So like the Magi, we need to seek truth expectantly, and we need to rejoice exceedingly. And then the final really quick thing is we need to worship Jesus exuberantly. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with the question, well, what makes this baby, Jesus, different from any other baby? Why is Jesus different from my five babies? Why do we split history into two parts over the birth of Jesus? What makes him so different? Well, we know the answer. It's because Jesus was no mere baby. He was God. 
In Jesus, God came to earth in human form so that we could get to know him. Paul in Colossians 1 says, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. In Jesus, we see the face of God. God gave us the greatest gift he could possibly give. He gave the gift first so that we might respond. For God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son. I love how the Magi responded when they discovered the gift that Jesus was. Verse 11, when the Magi went into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. The first response of all those who come to discover who Jesus is, is to bow down and to worship then they opened their treasure chests and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Isn't this brilliant? Their sincere search for truth turned into sacrificial adoration. So interesting to me that when they walk into the room, they don't worship the star, they don't worship Joseph, they don't worship Mary. They get down on their faces before the baby. Why? Because that baby is the only one worthy of our adoration when we've come to know him. He's our saviour. At the very end of our scripture reading this morning, Matthew says that after they'd seen Christ and after they'd given the gifts, they went home another way. They went home another way. I have a sense there's a bit of a double meaning in that. They went home another way geographically. Yes, they did. But I think too they went home another way and that they were changed people after their encounter with Christ. We're invited today to make exactly the same response. We're invited today to bow down, having come into the presence of Christ. We're invited today to give back to God the gifts that he's given to us. They're probably not gold, frankincense, or myrrh. But I wonder today, will you give to Jesus the gifts that he deserves, that he's blessed you with? And we're invited today, having bowed down, having given gifts, to go home another way, changed and transformed because of our encounter with Christ. This is our God. In Jesus, we see the face of God. Will you bow down? I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We're going to sing a song which is King of Kings, Majesty. I want to invite you this morning to respond however you feel led. If you want to bow down then feel free to if you want to raise your hands and feel free to if you just want to offer your life and surrender to Jesus this morning then feel free to today as we respond in worship King of kings majesty
this morning if there's somebody here or online who's been challenged by this journey of the Magi and perhaps you are on that journey of searching for Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. Father I pray for those who like the Magi were searching for Jesus that you would continue to put uh, signs in their path that will lead them to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worth searching for. You are the answer to our every question. You're the answer to our every need. And I just encourage you, if that's you, to keep searching, to keep looking for Jesus, and you will find him. But I'm also aware that there are maybe some who today have been challenged to bow the knee and worship him again, that you've been on this journey. You're on this journey of faith but just feeling that call again to bow the knee and to worship him, Jesus, our saviour. So I'd love us to uh, sing again in worship those, your majesty, I can but bow. Maybe this morning, God's just calling us again to bow the knee before him, to lay all that we have before his feet, just as the Magi did. They bowed down on their faces and worshipped the baby, worshipped Jesus because they knew who he was, the saviour of the world. Let's respond, shall we? Because we have received those royal robes, those royal robes that we don't deserve. That might be our experience this morning. Let's worship the king who clothes us in those royal robes. Your majesty, I can but bow. Your majesty, I can but bow. Your Majesty, 
Dios. 